Assalamu alaikum, everybody. Uh, welcome everyone on the interactive group and here. Um, apologize for the late start. It seems like every day literally just flies by. It's hard to keep up, so I'm sorry to keep you waiting. So I, I will keep it um, short. Thank you again for joining us on a Tuesday night, which I know is always challenging. Um, but I, um, it's, it's just so, so valuable. I mean, especially, I was really especially touched by the last surah, surah Saad. So if you have not had a chance to see it, absolutely do. It was, I mean, everyone is earth shattering and I think everyone touches everyone. Every surah touches probably, you know, each person in a very different way. Um, but I found that, you know, that one for me in particular was very, very earth shattering. Um, it's really fascinating. In the last, um, in the last um, halakha, I started out by mentioning that you know people have been finding their way online to make um, disparaging comments about us and what we're doing. Um, last time I commented that someone said, you know, why is there a woman without a hijab, the face of this movement? And I was talking to um, the sheikh about this, and it's like you know when you think about it. First of all, he was like, you know, we, we're not a movement, we're not a cult. We're in education, you know, I mean, and educations are supposed to push you out of your comfort zone and force you to think and teach you a different way to think and introduce you to things that you've never heard before. I mean, that is the point of an education. And, you know, certainly no one is forcing anyone to be here. So if you don't like what you're seeing, then don't watch us on YouTube and don't watch us on Facebook and, you know, don't take the effort to write something negative. There's no point. And especially if you're, you know, if you identify as Muslims, because sometimes these are Muslim names um, that are particularly disparaging. And, you know, we obviously as Muslims are supposed to honor, um, you know, knowledge and seeking knowledge as the height of, um, the, of you know, our efforts and, and our purpose. And um, so it's, it's always sort of funny to me. Um, but um, I think it's a sign of good things. I mean, you know, people are getting their cages rattled and that's a good thing. That's part of education. Um, and, you know, it's, this is an incredible group here. I'm really proud of everyone um, who, you know, has chosen to take a year out of their life and the people who follow us, you know, uh, regularly on these interactive sessions. Um, you know, this is a, quite an impressive group of people. And if anyone is, um, if you're subscribed to our weekly emails, um, you know, every Friday morning you'll get a mess, you know, an email message from me. And I've been introducing some of the people that are here. We have. Um, PhDs, JDs, medical doctors, people who are still, you know, in school, haven't finished school yet. We have all kinds. Um, and, you know, these are great minds and people who are, you know, not afraid of this challenge. So um, I say this to also encourage people, if you are not signed up um, or subscribed to our weekly email, please do just go to our website. It's easy to subscribe. Um, and then you can get your regular check-in on, um, you get a link to the things we're doing here, you get a summary of the chutbah from the previous week, and then you get my musings, um, as well as um, a really sweet piece from our, our niece, um, Dahlia, who I asked to kind of sift through the, comment, uh, the content that we have and share anything that touches her, because she comes from a younger generation, obviously, than me, and I think it's really important to share things that touch people at different generations, and so she you know, will find things that strike her, and, and those are things that she likes to share. So that's, that's very valuable. Um, and just to give you a little bit of window into um, how, um, you know, what we're doing here beyond just these YouTube sessions, is um, you'll notice that we, if you get the weekly email, you'll see you get a very detailed summary of the chutbah, which I think is extremely valuable. 
Um, but also, as we have been doing these um, sessions here, we have been transcribing and moving forward with editing. Um, I did get some you know, emails that said, um, hey, wouldn't it be great if you guys publish these things? Um, great minds think alike because we're already on top of it. Um, we, with every single session, we transcribe. We are working on editing, trying to keep up because obviously at, with two stories a week, it's an extremely you know, hectic pace. Um, and the long-term vision is to have um, a published, um, you know, multi-volume set of this entire tafsir. And what's particularly special about it is obviously it's in the English language. Um, and not since Muhammad Asad back in 1980 has there been um, an English tafsir. And, you know, um, this is what I know from the, the smart brains around here that have been telling me. Um, there is the study Quran, obviously, that we use here, but that is much more of a survey. It's not necessarily original thought. And what we're presenting here is, as the professor said, you know, his personal journey. And so what you're hearing here is a combination of things from the tradition, but also things that he has arrived at in his own, you know, journey in his lifetime um, in building a relationship with the Quran. And, you know, me personally, like when I hear what we cover in these sessions, I hear the truth, I feel it in my, you know, I, I feel it register in my heart, in my soul, and I compare that to how I feel when I've been in Muslim spaces and I've, you know, heard other quote-unquote tafsir, which to me, like, I immediately, it shuts off my brain, it feels stupid, um, irrational, you know, it's just, there's there's no comparison. Um, and so our, our hope and our goal is to preserve this beautiful knowledge um, you know, for, for lifetimes to come long after we're gone, um, hopefully in a book, you know, because as the professor has said here, we don't, you know, the digital stuff can be gone in an instant, in a blink of an eye, in, a, in one sun flare, you know, everything's gone. We still believe in books. Um, so that's what we're working towards. And interestingly, um, we, you know, I, I was speaking today with the transcription company and um, Ever since we started this very intense process, you know, we've come to the realization that we spend about $1,500 a week, at least, on transcription. That's just the raw transcription. So from that, we take that raw transcription and we spend a lot more hours in cleaning it up, editing it, turning it from sort of a spoken word to more of a written text. And then obviously we would like to add commentary and citations and things like that. So by the time we finish publishing this work, it'll be a really you know, important academic volume. So that's a lot of money and you know, it adds up very quickly. And so I wanted to share that because you know, this is, you know, um, something that is so valuable and so important to me, it's priceless, you know, $1,500 is, you know, definitely a lot of money, but it, for what we're, what we're doing, it's obviously worth it. But I say that to encourage people who believe in this project to please, you know, tell others, give what you can, donate, help us get this project, you know, like, finished. And, um, and this is something that will obviously benefit, you know, hopefully our, our children and our grandchildren and generations to come long after. Um, I really believe that what we're hearing here is, you know, a flavor for what the early Muslims understood, like the things that really, you know, as, as we say, turned desert dwellers into civilization builders. I mean, it's like they, it turned people into passionate Muslims that were willing to sacrifice everything. And what we have today came from that sacrifice. And hopefully what we can seed for the future will come from whatever sacrifice we make now. 
So um, I want to encourage people to, um, you know, invest in this project um, with whatever you can do. So anyway, thank you so much again. And um, looking forward to another session. And may Allah bless it and bless all of you and bless all of our um, collective journey to knowledge and enlightenment. And um, that's it. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Subhanallah Alameen Azim. Allahumma salli wa sallim wa bhaedaka na Muhammad wa ala wa sahabihi tabba wa sahabihi ila yawmiddin. Wa hushkhi sabi wa sallim wa amdi ahla laqdata min lisani wa qawli ya Rabbil Alameen. Inshallah tonight we'll do Surah Taqweer. And I will, um, as usual, make some comments about the time of revelation of Surah Al-Taqweer. Um, I will make some just introductory comments and then we'll break for Maghrib. And... Um, I'm, of course, mindful that it's a Tuesday night, so I'll try not to go long. But what I um, want to say at the introduction is that now the pace of soar is coming very fast. It's two surahs a week. Um, the which obviously is, is much faster than the time it took to reveal the Qur'an, um, the revelation of the Qur'an itself. And I just want to underscore for everyone, those present, uh, either present physically or present on the net, or those who will listen to, to this, um, either now or in years to come or whatnot. Um, receiving the Quran is a heavy responsibility. Um, nothing, nothing is more detestable to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala than someone who carries the Quran uh, but does not embody it. Um, those who recite the Quran but do not reflect its ethics, its morality, its lessons, or those who study the Quran but it passes through them like a spear passes through um, the air. Be mindful that with knowledge with knowledge comes accountability. Uh, in many ways, I, I had always hesitated about teaching my journey with the Quran and the, the years of research because part of me um, felt sorry or part of me um, did not want to put that type of responsibility on people. I knew I know that once people receive notice in the form of knowledge, 
their accountability rises in proportion to the knowledge received. And teaching, not just receiving, but teaching is another level of responsibility. It's so serious. It's so serious. And I know that Muslims these days don't take it seriously at all. But if you understood the accountability of a teacher, you would think a million times before you teach a single word. Um, teaching is another level of responsibility. My advice to you, if you teach something, you have to embody it. You have to fully represent it. My advice to you, do not teach something unless you master it. This is just the, the, the simple ethics of knowledge and uh, pedagogy. You don't teach unless you master. The, the Muslim practice of learning a little bit of knowledge and teaching a little bit of knowledge has, has been disastrous. It's disastrous on this earth because the consequences are disastrous on this earth, but it's also disastrous for the teacher and the hereafter. Um, so please, I warn everyone, if your ego tells you, well, you know, I received this knowledge, I'm going to teach it now, think very carefully about whether you embody this material, whether you rise to the level that you can teach it, and whether you've mastered it enough to be able to do that. It's, your conscience is your only supervision, because that, that's the way it is. Um, and your accountability before Allah in the final day. But even if you're not going to teach it, as these surahs come, and I've always resisted for many, many years, I mean, for over 20 years I've resisted teaching, uh, until, as I said before, I, I, I just became convinced that this knowledge has to be preserved somehow. Because when you are receiving two surahs a week, and you could become addicted to the process of receiving the knowledge, but you do not embody it. And that's a very heavy responsibility. Take each surah as a personal revelation. I've said this before, a personal revelation. Allah is talking to you. Allah is communicating a lesson to you. Allah is telling you something. And when Allah speaks, you better listen very, very carefully. Do not be among those who Allah speaks to and then they go on with their life unchanged. The Quran warned us repeatedly about those people. And their fate is not pleasant in the hereafter. If Allah speaks to you, each divine speech should result in a transformation. So, because I worry, I worry uh, for my students, I worry for people who, well, 
I don't worry about the jealousies. I don't worry about the silly politics. I don't worry about the slander and the attacks. I mean, I've lived with that all my life. You know, may Allah forgive everyone. Uh, but I worry about the responsibility of knowledge and the accountability of people. As we will see, inshallah, Surah Kuwirat is another surah that delivers um, an earth-shattering moral lesson for those who listen carefully and those who study carefully and reflect carefully. Um, on its surface, is telling you something that you might think you're familiar with. But with a little bit of study of reflection, you'll realize that it's actually telling you something that is entirely transformative for your life. So with that, let's break and pray Maghrib and then come back, inshallah, in five minutes. Surah At-Takweer. So Surah At-Takweer is among the very early revelations in Mecca. Um, most scholars say it's number seven in order of revelation. So it comes after Al-Alaq, Al-Qalam, Al-Muddathir, Al-Muzammal, and it comes after Al-Fatiha. Um, and it also comes after Surah Al-Masad, um, probably right after Surah Al-Masad. Um, we, there, there aren't much in terms of Asbab al-Nuzul or circumstances for revelation. I'll mention a couple of, a few reports that were, um, uh, but I'll, I'll comment on them in due time. And what's fascinating about Surah Al-Takwir is that there is, um, as usual, there is, you know, a debate about what certain things mean. Uh, but more importantly, I think, is that there are two different ways to understand Surah Al-Taqweer. And I'm actually, inshallah, going to go through the, the first way, which is the more, um, uh, you could call it more literal way, uh, but as I explained you know, whether it's literal or not, we'll see. Um, but it's, perhaps we could say more traditional, although that's not also a, a um, and so there's one, one level of understanding it. But subhanAllah, there's a very different way of understanding Surah Al-Taqweer, not inconsistent, but at a, entirely different mode of interpretation and a different methodology of interpretation which was very uh, common 
and very popular was particularly Sufi orientations in Islam. Um, now, I'm going to tell you a third way of Surah, understanding Surah Al-Taqweer, which is my interpretation of Surah Al-Taqweer and Allahu A'lam, Allah knows best. Uh, so there will be the first, the second, and the third. And inshallah, I will go through them in order. Maybe just to state an obvious point, the reason that we can have these different ways of interpreting Surah Al-Taqweer is because of the language itself. Is because of the 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 choice of the language by the author um, in choosing words that easily lend themselves to different levels of interpretation. So I'm going to do an unusual thing tonight, inshallah, and, and that is to actually go, usually I mix the, 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 so as I comment on each ayah, I say, well, there are this way to understand it, there's this way to understand it, and so on. But this time I'm actually going to go through the entire surah, the first way, the entire surah, the second way, and the entire surah, the third way, uh, which is mine. Okay. So, إِذَا الشَّمْسُ كُوِّرَتْ Translated, when the sun is enfolded. وَإِذَا النُّجُومٌ كَدَرَتْ And when the stars fade away. وَإِذَا الْجِبَالُ سُيِّرَتْ When the mountains are set in motion. This is the translation of the study Qur'an. وَإِذَا الْعِشَارُ عُطِّلَتْ And when pregnant camels are abandoned. وَإِذَا الْوَحُوشُ حُشِرَتْ and when beasts are gathered, وَإِذَا الْبِحَارُ سُجِّرَتْ And when seas are made to swell, and وَإِذَا النُّفُوسُ زُوِّجَتْ When souls are coupled. So we start وَإِذَا الشَّمْسُ كُوِّرَتْ When the, translated by the study Qur'an as, um, uh, as uh, when the sun is unfolded. Kowarat literally, kawarashay is to literally roll up something. And uh, especially we talk about kawarat al-imama, the way that you uh, tie al-imama, a, a, a turban. Uh, that's where that term is often used in in old Arabic. Um, but here, m most commentators said that it is not talking about the sun itself being. Um, wrapped up or enfolded 
So it's not necessarily the case that the sun will die or that the sun will uh, go anywhere. But that, and interestingly, most said that it is the light of the sun is going to be constrained as if folded up so that the light of the sun does not reach earth. So, a very vivid picture of the coming of the final day or the final time where we have the light of the sun which is very necessary for human life literally being wrapped up as if you are closing a book uh, for just for completeness sake some said that um, so that that something will take place where people will no longer be able to see the sun in the sky uh, although it's there that it it's it's not going to be visible to them there is in the tradition if you go to a, tra a very traditional um, school of tafsir they will tell you about hadiths or reports from attributed to companions of the Prophet والسلام, that uh, talk about the sun being um, shrunk and thrown on earth. Other reports talk about the sun being uh, thrown in hellfire so that it, it joins with hellfire. Um, none of these reports are reliable and I'm not going to spend any time on them because although they exist, uh, most of the, nearly all of them, all of these reports come from the Qusas, the storytellers, uh, the, the class of people who in the medieval times would travel around entertaining people with mythology around the Quran. And all the reports that come from the Qusas, because they were storytellers and they were entertainers. Um, in my methodology, we reject them offhand. So when we find a, a, someone that we know was among the Qusas in the chains of transmission, we reject these, these stories as inventions. Okay. So that's the first image. Translated as stars fade away. The only thing to say in in the first methodology of understanding this um, There is, in the tradition, again, some discussion as to whether the stars themselves are going to be moved from their place. So, in other words, are, are there going to be the death of stars? Or is it rather 
that whatever happens to the stars, and perhaps nothing, but is that when we say in Qadarat means that the, the we will not be able to see the stars. So neither sunlight will be reaching Earth, nor light from stars, bodies in the heavens will be reaching Earth. And as we will find out in a second, it's because the very nature of the sky, the nature of the biosphere that surrounds the Earth will have changed. So it is really not a surprise. I don't put much credence in the reports that talk about uh, that the stars will be falling down or that the stars will be destroyed and um, largely again for authenticity and reliability reasons um, and there is no reason to believe that the death of the earth or that the, de that the hereafter and the resurrection and this whole process will necessarily mean anything will happen to the stars it's up to Allah so you know you do read in, if you if you open up Tafsir al-Tabari or Tafsir ibn Kathir you know you read things like oh the stars will start falling down or that some even say the stars will fall down on earth none of that is um, is reliable and uh, worth the investment in time but what is clear is that the stars will no longer be visible. And the mountains, not necessarily, although the study Quran says the mountains will be set in motion, it is not necessarily set in motion, but that the mountains will be crumbling and shaking. So an image of rather um, terrifying earthquakes that will force mountains to become as molten lava or to start crumbling uh, and shaking. And with this introduction, it tells us, well, وحوش وحشرت, uh, sorry, والعشار عطلت before وحوش وحشرت, والعشار عطلت, العشار were uh, camels in in old Arabic they were camels that are pregnant in their tenth month and they were considered by Arabs um, to be extremely valuable pregnant camels in their tenth months were the highest priced camels and so at one level the Quran is saying that um, that day will be so terrifying that even the most valuable property will go unattended and uncared for. Well, Ishara Uttilat means that these extremely valuable pieces of property will go unattended. But Ishara Uttilat also in um, Old Arabic could mean clouds uh, 
clouds pregnant with rain. And so could be that the clouds will not be raining, that rainfall will be cut off. could also mean and very valuable, highly, uh, um, um, highly, um, what's the word, uh, land that you can, can farm. Um, fertile. Uh, uh, fertile. Fertile. Highly fertile land will go abandoned. So it, it could mean any of these three things, that rain will be cut off in the camel, very valuable property like cam pregnant camels will be abandoned, uh, or, or even uh, very fertile land will be ignored. But the idea is people are not going to be in the mood uh, of paying attention to their property or their wealth. When and when wild beasts are gathered, the, the only thing, the, the thing worth noting here is that there is a discussion in the tradition as to what happens with animals. And there are several theological perspectives and I'm summarizing, you know, a great deal of debate and um, but the there is a hadith uh, attributed to the Prophet wasalam, that says um, that in the final day justice will be achieved even justice among animals so that if one animal injures another, justice will be achieved between these animals. There is a great deal in the tradition that animals will be resurrected to testify against anyone that hurt them. But there is disagreement in the tradition as to what happens after animals testify. One point of view says that after they testify against those who hurt them, the animals will perish, will, will disappear. They, they, they perform their function. Second point of view says after they testify, we don't know what happens to the animals because Allah doesn't tell us and we shouldn't speculate. Third point of view is that after the animals testify that they continue to exist but in Jannah. That they, they, have, they are given forms in Jannah and they continue their existence in Jannah and especially relationships between human beings and other animals continue in Jannah. Um, so if you were close to a horse, you were close to a camel, you were close to a dog, you were close to a cat, that continues on in Jannah. Um, and that the absolute, absolute justice mandates that. There's even a hadith that's not reliable that says 
the absolute justice will be exacted to to the extent that even flies will have their measure of justice. So from the small from the biggest to the smallest animal. The fly hadith, justice to the flies hadith is not very reliable. Uh, the the hadith that if an animal injures another justice will be achieved between them is reliable but it's a had it's it's um uh, of singular transmission um so the beasts gathered is uh, touches upon this this much larger theological debate but for surah at-taqwir some said that Basically, it's it's saying that even animals will be in in a state of daze um, uh, that day because it will be completely overwhelming. Okay. وَإِذَا الْبِحَارُ سُجِّرَتْ Sujirat is a very fascinating uh, word because it could mean that the seas overflow to the point that salt sea and fresh sea mix. So there will be massive flooding everywhere. But Sujirat could have exactly the opposite meaning. It's one of those words in Arabic that could have one meaning and its opposite, depending on the context. It could be mean that the seas dry up, and so no rain is coming down and the seas dry up. But it could also mean, sujirat could also mean be set on fire. That you will find, you know, we can speculate maybe volcanoes, maybe molten lava, but that the seas will be bubbling with heat. And after this intro in the very in the first six areas, one right after the other in this construction of imagery that is breathtaking and terrifying, what is a nufusu zuwijat? So and when souls are coupled, the issue here, of course, is what does that reference? Coupled with what? And the points of view here are well settled. Um, some, most, said that what it means is that souls are coupled with their bodies. Some said that, no, it's not souls coupled with their bodies, but rather souls are coupled with their deeds. So you and your, your deeds come together. Yet others said, coupled, because relying on other parts of the Quran, um, means that those who did good will find themselves coming in union 
with fe fellow good wayfarers. In, in other words, those that you were close to who were also on the right path will come together. But those who were evil um, not only will be coupled with their, their evil mates in life, but will also be coupled with their demons. The, the demons that have accompanied them in their existence on earth. Some, uh, you find this in Ibn Kathir, you'll also find it in Tabari and so on. They'll say, they say, Zuwijat means that if you did good, you will be coupled with your soulmate in heaven, um, your husband or your wife in, in heaven, and if if you did bad, that you will be coupled with a demon instead of a soulmate. Um, that, in my opinion, is the least likely meaning, but you, you'll find it, even in many translations, you'll find it. Okay. Now, after that act of coupling, probably coupled, in my opinion, with your deeds and confronting your deeds, comes the moment and the female child who is buried alive will be asked by what fault she was killed. Now, al-wa'd is to be under, to be covered over by a heavy burden. So, in, uh, for instance, we'll say, لا يأوده حفظهما Allah is not tired by carrying a heavy burden. The, the reason that these girls were called ma'udah is because they would be covered over by um, dirt. And what it refers to, as you probably know, is that in, uh, in pre-Islamic Arabia, some tribes, not necessarily Mecca, it wasn't a common practice in Mecca itself, but it was a practice in some tribes, the less prestigious and less powerful tribes around Mecca, um, is be they considered girls to be a burden because girls in warfare or in raids could be captured and enslaved. And that they consider to be a disgrace upon the tribe because if the tribe is not strong enough to free its enslaved girls, that was considered a dishonor. So what they would do is that they would kill their, their um, uh, infant girls. Uh, and this coupled with the belief that if you bury the girl alive and then the gods will send you a boy instead. So the, the burying of girls took two forms. Uh, either the mother would, literally as she's in labor, she would uh, dig a hole 
and she would give birth over the hole. And if the if if the um, the if she gives birth to a girl, the girl is buried right away. Or if she gives girl to a boy birth to a boy, then um, she embraces the boy. The other form was even more cruel. Uh, they would wait until the girl is six years old, dress up the girl in in the the, the best clothes, uh, dig a hole, and then go tell the girl to go look at this hole. And when she looks at the hole, they push her in, and then they put the the um, dirt over her. And th that practice was the belief, the reason you dress up the girl is that you believe that you're giving the girl to the gods and then the god will replace this with a boy. So this right away notice that the Quran in the very early revelations already starts challenging the immoral practices of Mecca, which we know it will become a regular thing in the Quran. But in Surah At-Takwir, we are introduced to something that, the, that the, the recipients of the early Quran noted and took notice of, that here with crimes with these types of crimes, you are not asking the criminal about what they did, but you're asking the victim. And that was a new concept, that you are actually going to the victims, and it is the victims who are going to prosecute the offenders. And it also became clear in Surah At-Takwir that for this group of people that were following the new prophet, Muhammad that they were in opposition to the practice of killing female infants or killing these these daughters. Um, but what's interesting is that you find from so many commentators will say that the reason that this way the Meccans, although the Meccans themselves didn't bury didn't didn't indulge in that practice, but the tribes outside of Mecca did, is that what it implied was that every case of unjustified killing is unacceptable. Now, why did that trouble the Meccans? Because for them, vengeance killing was a way of life. If someone kills someone from your family, then you kill, in response, 10 people from their family. And these, these feuds would go on for years and years. And that was was duly noted, and was one of the 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 elements that was starting to get the attentions of the Meccans that they've got a revolutionary creed on their hand. 
it is not surprising that you know theologians you find this very common from the very earliest of seers that the basic idea is there is no such thing as a soul that can be extinguished without accountability and especially um, that for the the Arabs that practice and what for them they didn't believe some of them I mean in the, in the, especially the, the tribes that practice what they didn't believe that girls had a soul and, and that was interestingly came from Christianity because the Bible and, or early Christians believed that girls unlike boys boys didn't have a soul and that was incorporated as the hodgepodge of religious beliefs that existed in Arabia um, and so it it, it it was today we read it as okay so yeah you shouldn't bury, kill your, your kids but it's easy to miss the nuance of the historical moment that the, how revolutionary that simple statement is like when the Quran very early revelation says to, to, to free, free a slave. One of the reports um, that um, the Meccans took note of, there was a fellow who converted to Islam and, uh, and came to the Prophet and he said, well, I, I have a problem after Surah Al-Taqweer because I've buried Ten girls, and before he became Muslim, and so the Prophet said in repentance, free ten slaves. It, it, he says that well, I don't have ten slaves, and I can't afford to buy ten slaves and free them. The the Prophet then says, well, donate uh, ten cattle in repentance to the poor. But the response of free ten slaves, again, we talk about retelling the seerah, right? The response of free ten slaves bothered the Meccans. So now, this new creed has an agenda, and the agenda includes not just empowering the poor and saying that women have souls, and that you can't kill people at will, but also that now they're going to be using every excuse to free slaves. Retelling the seerah is a very critical step in for those people who talk about decolonialism. We, we have colonized minds because we understand the seerah from the perspective of colonialism and the epistemology of colonialism. If you want to understand the Sira from a Muslim perspective, free of colonialism and free of apologetics, then it's a completely different matter. Because then these reports take a great deal of significance and understanding how the message was unfolding and what social and cultural impact it was having is very critical.
Okay. So six, uh, sorry, nine delivers that doozy, that thing that got the attention of so many. Right after it, it says, وَإِذَا الصُّحُفُ نُشِرَتْ When the pages are spread according to the study Qur'an, what are the, what are the suhuf? The suhuf are not necessarily literal pages, but could, but means that when the accounts are put forth. At that point, after all the, the, this, these introductory cataclysmic events, and especially those who suffered injustice are testifying immediately against, including animals, by the way, are testifying against those who offended them. So in other words, they're immediately, those who suffer injustice are given a platform right away and people start receiving their accounts. وَإِذَا السَّمَاءُ قُشِطَتْ And when the heaven is laid bare, السَّمَاءُ قُشِطَتْ literally when Al-Qasht was when you removed the skin of a slaughtered animal. So, Taqshat al-Hawan, so you've, you've slaughtered an animal and then you're removing the skin, right? So, it's a remarkable image because it's as if this biosphere that surrounds the earth will be just rolled up or, or torn away from the earth. Now, for the modern mind, we understand that, this, in fact, there is a very special, um, um, you know, ozone that, that protects the earth. And the idea that, that that is going to be removed makes the earth uninhabitable. Is worth noting for, of course, the pre modern commentators um, you know, you read some interesting speculations about what, what they understood by um, the skies being torn away uh, because they didn't, they, they, they didn't, this other than Allah saying that. If later on that the skies are held by pillars that you don't see, they had no frame of reference to visualize this. But it's rather for for this is one of these instances instances where the modern mind can visualize what the Quran is talking about perhaps better than the pre-modern mind. وَإِذَا الْجَحِيمُ صُعِرَتْ 
And hellfire is translated as when hellfire is kindled. I mean, that's good enough. But with Jahim uh, al-Su'ayrat, basically when hellfire or when hell is opened up and brought to life, so it's ready to receive. وَإِذَا جَنَّةُ أُزْلِفَتْ And when heaven is brought near, أَزْلَفَ الشَّيْءِ is to, to bring something close. So both images could know that they are open for business and ready to receive. So when all of this happens, with this introduction, all of this is leading to something, because it says when this happens, when this happens, when this happens, then what? Each soul, according to the study of the Quran, says each soul shall know what it has made ready. Literally, it's like not just being aware of what you've done or your deeds but that your deeds are brought forth so you can see them so all of this is leading to this monumental point in which the person confronts the reality of their performance and their performance is brought forth to them with all its husn and qubh, with all its beauty and ugliness right before them so they see it clearly and vividly without illusions without excuses Then immediately, Allah, from that moment of confrontation, the oath starts. فَلَا أُقْسِمُ بِالْخُنَّسِ الْجَوَارِ الْكُنَّسِ وَاللَّيْلِ إِذَا عَسْعَسْ وَالصُبْحِ إِذَا تَنَفَّسْ Now, فَلَا أُقْسِمُ بِالْخُنَّسِ I swear by those receding. What is those receding? What's Al Khunas at the most 
literal way and the, 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 I said the, the, fir the first school of thought that understood it that it refers to well what are those things that are receding and what are those right after it al-jawari al-kunnas those that move and set and they said well it's talking about planetary movements and it's talking about the fact that from their perspective, the, the fact that we sometimes can see constellations and we sometimes cannot see constellations. And so, so many commentators said, well, this refers to constellations and the miracle of the fact that, because of course in, in pre-modern times, constellations were very important for navigating and for figuring out direction and for travel and you know without constellations you were you were in, you were lost um, constellations played a big role in the lives of people but others said well it's not really constellations because if 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 Allah wanted to, to swear specifically by constellations Allah could have said so but rather by the fact that in the heavens there are shooting planets that like shoot what we call shooting stars and planets that appear and planets dis that disappear that we know nothing about but it is a miracle of existence. Now, of course, in the modern world, we, we know things like dwarfs and, you know, we, we understand much better how miraculous uh, the life of stars are and the, what happens in the heavens. And so we are even in a better position to understand al-khunnas and jawar al-khunnas than the, the medievals. But fundamentally, they thought it refers to heavenly bodies, planetary bodies. And as'as is a fascinating uh, word because as'as could mean to move forward or to go back. Uh, in, you could use it either. And from the word as'as, the word the, in, in medieval Arabic, the police were called as'as. Uh, uh, Asas, why? Because they spy at night. The police force was seen as the, you know, the, the people who spy at night, so they were called Asas. So, when Layli is a Asas, the fading away of the night, nearly like as if it's shimmering, advancing and retreating as day breaks through. What Subhi is a Tanafas. It's a very beautiful imagery of literally as the morning, as if the morning is breathing, erasing the night gently. So Allah is swearing by the miraculous measurements, the miraculous, meticulously um, 
worked out balance of planetary movements of night and day that you know that this is cannot be by coincidence that it has a maker what is jawab qasam or what is swearing as to what swearing that this is laqawlu rasulin kareem um it's a speech of a noble messenger, as study Quran translates it, that this is the message, this is the revelation of a noble messenger. In the tradition, there is a debate as to whether when it says laqawlu rasulin kareem is it referring to the prophet muhammad or referring to the angel jibril um is it saying that the that the rasul kareem is the angel gabriel or the prophet muhammad the Possessed of strength before the possessor of the throne. See, the, the, here the Arabic is very poetic. It's very beautiful. The translation is, It is already a, a solid messenger, a truthful messenger, a stable messenger, who has a special position a secure position with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now, of course, if it's referring to Gabriel, the angel Gabriel, Gabriel uh, it's talking about this, the, how powerful the angel is. And we know that the angel Gabriel is... If it's referring to the prophet, then it's referring to the soul of the prophet, the personality of the prophet, the spirit of the prophet. In my view, it, it, it's referring to the Prophet, although the majority of commentators say it's referring to Angel Gabriel. But anyway. I always look at the translation to see if they could come up with something, you know, but, okay. Muta'an sunnah, I mean, obey, trustworthy with all. Uh, yeah, um, obeyed and trustworthy. If it's referring, referring to Gabriel, obeyed in the heavens by other angels. No one will defy Gabriel. If it's referred, if it's referring to the Prophet, it's referring to the fact that the special status of this prophet in the heavens. Um, this prophet might be defied on earth, might be disbelieved on earth, might be fought on earth, but the status of this prophet in the heavens is a truly special one. And وَلَقَدْ رَآهُ بِالْأُفِقُ الْمُبِينَ And saw him upon the clear horizon. 
Here, most commentators say that it's talking about the Prophet seeing the angel Gabriel. Um, there are hadiths in this context about the, the, the Prophet asking Gabriel to see him for in his new form, in true form, and Gabriel telling the Prophet that you won't be able to handle seeing me in my true form, and then Gabriel manifests to the Prophet, and the Prophet uh, passes out. Um, not very reliable hadith, but what is clear is that in some form or another, the vision that the Prophet had of Gabriel uh, is a true one. Some say there is a debate in the tradition whether he saw him um, in his heart or actually saw him by his eyes. We don't need to get into it, but it's part of the, of the richness of the tradition that you find these uh, debates going on without troubling anyone. وَمَا هُوَ عَلَى الْغَيْبِ بِضَنِينَ They translated it as so, uh, and he does not withhold grudgingly the unseen. Very literal. What does that mean? He does not hold grudgingly the unseen. وَمَا هُوَ عَلَى الْغَيْبِ بِضَنِينَ Literally would mean that he does not withhold what is revealed to him. But that's not like the likely meaning of it, of what it says. It's an, it's an idiomatically, the word Dameen can be used to say that he is not privy to the world of the unseen. That he shares with you what is revealed to him, but he, like you, he's a human being. And this is consistent with the, what the Qur'an consistently says about the role of the Prophet And this is not a revelation inspired by a demon, as some of the detractors of the Prophet were going around saying, well, you know what, the, remember, this is the seventh surah. And they were reacting to um, after right after the revelation of Al-Fatha, especially, and said, well, this must have been inspired by a demon. It must be that this man is possessed by a demon. So the Quran addresses them directly and says, this is not the discourse of a, this is not the way demons talk. Literally, it means, so where are you going? Figuratively, it means, so what are you doing? It's like when I tell you, what the heck are you doing by taking the position you're taking? So the Quran is figuratively saying, you people who are, you know that this is not demonic. It reminds me, when I was at the University of Texas, when they, they stinted my life when I taught undergraduates, I taught a course called the Intro Introduction to the Quran. Uh, 
and it was a popular course. I had 60 students. But, you know, of course, I had a lot of Muslims take the under, undergraduates take the course, and I also had a lot of Christian zealots take the course. And uh, one of the, my, my students, um, his whole thing, the entire semester, was that Muhammad was possessed by a demon and that the Quran was uh, a satanic revelation. And he attempted to write a paper, I, I gave it a very bad grade, um, to prove that perspective. I mean, it's not an academic position. You know, but anyway, it just stayed with me that, you know, it's, uh, yeah. Fa'inat tazabun, it's like figuratively, like saying, what's wrong with you? That you are taking such an absurd position. In huwa illa dhikrun lil'alameen, this is but a message, a remembrance to the world. لِمَنْ شَاءَ مِنْكُمْ أَنْ يَسْتَقِيمُ وَمَا تَشَاءُونَ إِلَّا أَنْ يَشَاءَ اللَّهُ رَبُّ الْعَالَمِينَ Several things to note here. One, it is a remembrance for those who want it. If the heart is not there, if you don't want the straight path, if you are resistant, there is, this is not for you. This is not going to, to, to invoke anything in you. Granted that Allah gives us the willpower to make free choices. So our free choices are contingent on Allah's will. Because if Allah didn't want us to have free choices, we wouldn't have free choices. But Allah wants us to have free choices, and so we do. And that free choice can either lead to the path of istiqamah, the straight path, or it doesn't. Interestingly, notice that this is a very early revelation and it says a message to the world, to the humankind. Now why is this important? Allah, you know, subhanAllah, Allah knows. Um, centuries later, in our modern age, there are some I don't know what to describe them as, secular Arabs, um, uh, like um, this guy Tarabishi, he's a, a Syrian scholar, or I don't want to call him a scholar because actually he's, he's not really a scholar, he, he writes a lot. But he wrote a book saying that, it, it's taken from the Orientalist position, that Muhammad really intended his message only to be to Umm Qura, to, to Arabia. That Muhammad was really just interested in, 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 in spreading his message to the Meccans and people around Mecca. And it was Muslims after Muhammad who turned Islam into a, a 
universal message. And it's remarkable because George Tarabishi, you know, wrote an entire book. And amazingly, you find some Muslims actually admiring this garbage. While the Quran very clearly on, very early on, says it's a message to humankind. Uh, so the idea that it was some localized message. Of course, George Tarabishi is taking it from Oriental scholars who basically wanted to say that Islam is not a world religion, it was just an Arab religion, and it just by accident got out of control and became a world religion. Uh, but he's copying that. So, Surat al-Takwir, in the perspective that I've just gone through, is a fairly straightforward surah. First, it, it warns you about the unfoldings when the hereafter comes. How nature, the, 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 the nature of nature is going to completely change. Sunlight will change. Water will change. The seas will change. The mountains will change. Even the heavens, the, the sky that is around us will be rolled up and made to dissipate. And those who have suffered injustice will confront those who committed injustice against them. And people will be confronted with the full truth of their deeds. And that this message is intended to the world, but it is a message that is effective only for those who want the path. And those who don't want it, the message is not going to reach them. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Who um, combines traditional with mystical approaches? So, for instance, so Ibn Ajiba says, okay, so Ibn Ajiba says, Alam and the Nafs wa Ruh wa Sir Asma li Musama Wahid, Wahua Latifa la Hutia Suria, Wahua Latifa la Hutia Seria fil Abdan. فما دامت تميل إلى المخالفة والهما والهوى سميت نفسه فإذا تطهرت بالتقوى الكاملة سميت روحة فإذا تذكت وأشرقت عليها أسرار الذات سميت سرة فالإشارة في قوله إذا الشمس كورت إلى تكوير النفس وطيها حين انتقلت إلى مرتبة الروح وإذا النجوم على علم الرسوم انكدرت حين أشرقت عليها شمس العرفان فلم يبقى منها للعارف إلا ما يحتاج إليه من إقامة رسم العبودية يعني يقع الاستغناء عنها فإذا تنزل إليها حققها أكثر من غيره 
إذا الجبال جبال العقل سيرت لأن نوره ضعيف كنوز القمر مع طلوع الشمس وإذا العشار عطلت أي النفوس الحاملة أثقال الأعمال والأحوال والأعباء التدبير والاختيار فيقع الغيب عنها بأثقالها وإذا الوحوش أي الخواطر الرضية حشرت وغرقت في بحر الأحدية وإذا البحار بحار الأحدية سجرت أي فجرت وانطبقت على الوجود فصارت بحرا واحدا متصلا أوله بآخره وظاهره بباطنه وإذا النفوس أي الأرواح زوجت بعرائس المعرفة في البقاء بعد الفناء على سور التقريب والاشتباء وقال سهل تآلفت نفس الطبع مع نفس الروح ففرحت في نعيم الجنة كما كانت كانت متآلفتين في الدنيا على إدامة الذكر So what Ibn what Ibn Ajiba is saying represents well the the second approach that I mentioned, and they understand most of Surah Taqwir figuratively, not literally. So when we start with either Shamsukuwirat, and when the sun is unfolded. First, let me just introduce a, a basic idea in, in the system of thought. They talk about nafs al-ruh wa sir. Nafs is the soul unpurified and in a state of blindness. When you are struggling with all your desires, passions, um, your base self, that's the nafs. As you purify it so that it's closer to its divine nature, it becomes the ruh. And the sir is what they refer to as when that soul achieves union with the divine, then it becomes beyond the, the ruh, beyond the soul. So when they read they understand that to be figurative reference. All of Surat al-Taqweer is not really about the hereafter, but it is about the process of the growth of the soul. So, وَإِذَا الشَّمْسُ كُوِّرَتْ refers to um, when one is set on the process of folding up the nafs, of confronting that weak soul, that pedantic soul, that mundane soul, and is determined to fold it up so as to set the ruh, the divine soul, free. 
وإذا النجوم انقدرت The نجوم here are the things that we attach our false sense of being to, our false sense of worth to. When the sun, when the light of the divine shines, these false systems of belief, like for instance, believing in constellations as determining your luck or your, your future, or whatever you think in fact defines you in mundane life, whether it's your degrees, your job, your family relations, your whatever. They are as artificial as the stars that would vanish in an instant if the light of the divine shines through. It doesn't refer to actual mountains, but when you are able to confront the mountains means the heavy weight of your guilt and your insecurity. And all the egoism that goes, they literally, they, they picture this as a mountain. All the egoism that goes in covering over the, the sense of insecurity and your sense of guilt. We cover our sense of guilt by stubbornness and nastiness. When we're guilty, we actually, instead of saying we're really messed up, we actually become defiant and more obstinate. So, وَإِذَا الْجِبَالُ سُيِّرَتْ that these are the mountains that Allah is referring to, the mountains of defiance arising from insecurity and the, the egoism. وَإِذَا الْعِشَارُ عُبْطِلَتْ when your basic animalistic instincts are brought under control. Now, just to demonstrate the point, why do they read things this way? Well, for one, they say, yes, it, it could have the literal meaning, but if you look at the entire surah, as I'll show you in a second, you see that Allah chose expressions that could have a different level of meaning. So for instance, Ishar Uttilat, it, 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 a word that could mean clouds, it could mean land, it could mean valuable camels, 
but it could also mean your inner self that is laden with confusion that you confront. And so when they find words that could have multiple meanings like that, in a book that is, when it wants, it is extremely precise, that is often the gateway to these interpretations. When you confront the beast within, all of us have animalistic sides. The sides that draw us to, towards sexual enjoyment, selfishly, and or consumption, or going to the bathroom, or all these base animalistic sides that if you are in the process of transformation, you confront and you bring under control. They understand the Mauda. Oh, sorry, before that, oh, I jumped. The, the seeds that are either set a, a fire or the seeds that are made um, uh, to flow, they understand that as Al Bihar Sujirat means the seeds of supernal divine knowledge as you throw yourself into the sea of divine Irfani knowledge you tell Allah Allah I'm tired of my ego I'm tired of the intellect I'm tired of what they've led me to and what they've done with me I want knowledge from you and you directly. And the seeds of that knowledge starts opening. And that's the Biharus Jirat. And you are coupled with the truth of the self. You confront the self. And in Surah Al-Taqweer, Sufis have some beautiful writings, testimonials about Tazweej nafs When you see yourself, we see ourselves physically in a mirror. The path that they talk about, that Surah Al-Taqweer describes, is seeing the truth of the self in a mirror. So it's as if you are seeing an actual reflection of who you really are in a mirror, for better or for worse. And if it's for worse, it, you're going to change it, obviously, and that's a transformation. Okay. And here they don't understand that as referring just to the girl that was buried alive, but they say al mauda su'ilat the mauda is your true supernal self 
the divine self that you are born with, that you suppress through the acts of egoism. And when you confront that self, and it speaks back to you and says, why have you murdered me? Why have you buried me? Why have you put a pile of garbage, heaped a pile of garbage over me? At that point, what is a suhuf al-mushirat? At that point, you start seeing your deeds embodied in this journey of transformation. وَإِذَا السَّمَاءُ قُشِطَتْ وَإِذَا السَّمَاءُ قُشِطَتْ This is 11. Um, and when the heaven is laid bare, is the way it's translated. وَإِذَا السَّمَاءُ قُشِطَتْ The Sama here Sama'u um, al-Hiss تقشطت عن أسرار المعاني that the sky that the, the ayah is, is mentions here is the world of sensory world in which you live in and as that sensory world comes under control so that you are not relying on the eyes, the nose, the ears, these senses, for the way you deal with reality, as the, you roll them in, you rein them in, you control them. What in other, what is in in what was often known as the third eye, comes to life. In other words, the the extrasensory perceptions within you come to life. At that point, وَإِذَا الْجَحِيمُ سُعِرَتْ وَإِذَا الْجَنَّةُ أُزْلِفَتْ So, the jahim that is su'irat here and the jannah that uzlifat, the hellfire that is, is uh, that you confront and the paradise is you confront is the true sense of husn and qubh within you. So that you are in total honest confrontation with both the hellfire that you created for yourself and the heaven that you've created for yourself. So, for example, um, how does he put نار قطيعة صعيرت لأهل الفراق والجنة جنة المعارف that at that process of transformation, your hell is here and now, but it is the hell of the truth of your actions. And the heaven is here and now, and it is the heaven of the truth of your actions. That's the point of true transparency and true perception. It is only then that you have true perception as to who you are, where you are, 
what you're doing with your life and where you're going. Now, interestingly, in the Sufi orientation, or what I'm calling Sufi, but it's not just Sufi, because, but in that second school, much of the approach to Surah Al-Takweer was because of the oath that Allah chooses. فَلَا الْجَوَارِ because Allah chooses an oath that is intentionally vague. Allah is swearing by those that hide and those that move. Not explicitly by planets. And for that orientation they said, well, if you look at this oath, why is Allah choosing this oath with why not elsewhere in the Quran Allah swears by planets very explicitly by stars very explicitly but here Allah swears by things that hide and things that um, if you will move uh, so and what are these now Here, uh, let me, I want to just do another quote, and then I'll, I'll uh, say. This is from Ibn Ajiba again. فَلَا أُقْسُمُ بِالْخُنَّسِ الْحَوَاسِ الْخَمْسِ وَهِيَ الصَّمْعَ وَالْبَصَرِ وَالشَّمْعُ وَالْذَوْقُ وَالْوِجْدَانِ الْبَاطِنِ فَإِنَّهَا تَخْنَسِ أي تَتْأَخَّرْ عَنْ سُطُوحَ حَلَاوَةِ الشُّهُودِ وهي الجوار الكنس لأنها تجري في تحصيل هواها عند الغفلة أو الفترة تستتر عند الذكر أو اليقظة والليل إذا عسعس أي ليل قطيع إذا أظلم على عبد برؤية وجوده ووقوفه مع عوائده والصبح أي صبح الاستشراف على نهار المعرفة إذا تنفس ثم تطلع شمس شيئا فشيئا إنه أي الوحي الإلهامي لقول رسول كريم رسول كريم وأراد ووارد رباني ذي قوة لأنه يأتي مع حضرة قهار قوي متين فلا يصادم شيئا مع مساوي إلا دمه. so what he's saying is فلا أقسم بالخنس الخنس could also have a different meaning and these are the senses. When they are used in the most base way. So, for instance, we say al-waswas al-khannas, we refer to shaitan as waswas khannas. Someone who khannas, um, low and disgusting, um, lowly degrading, khannas, not a good thing. It, even the if if someone is in prostitution, we could say that they are in khinasa, the, the 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 job. So when Allah says khunnas, when you use these senses without restraint, 
you are debasing yourself. Al-Jawari al-Kunnas, literally when they are in motion, pursuing the needs of the ego, which fits perfectly. Al-Jawari al-Kunnas, when they are in motion, pursuing the needs of the ego, وَاللَّيْلِ إِذَا عَصْعَصْ The darkness that besets upon a human being when that is their nature. The darkness of ignorance and anxiety. وَالصُّبْحِ إِذَا تَنَفَّسْ And the light of the divine as it breezes. Now look how gentle the expression is. That if you are trying to roll and control your senses and to open yourself to the light of the divine, it is as if the light breathes through. It doesn't come in one false loop. It doesn't remove the darkness, but it penetrates like rays. After the introduction that describes to you the process of transformation that a human being is capable of and should take. It comes and tells you this is truly the path. If this is what you want, this is the path. The only way you can attain it is through this. And then speaking after having revealed this 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 what the, what they call the deep secret, this deep secret, it tells you that this prophet is not insane, this prophet is not demonically possessed, this prophet is on a sure path the path of truth and فَأَيْنَ تَزْحَبُونَ is now not a question of what's wrong with you but a question as to what path are you going to take where are you going to go what is your choice Do you want to take that path of enlightenment? Or do you want to stay with the delusions and the falsity that you're in? This is the remembrance for those who want it. But know that whatever path, the path that you choose to take in either case, is never beyond the control of the divine and the will of the divine. I want to share with you another beautiful quote and I'll comment on it. This time from Ismail Haqqi also within the second school that I talked about. Okay, 
So he says, الاقسام بها أن القرآن نور من الله فلا يرد إلا على قلب النوراني الذي هو بمنزلة القدر وعلى الروح الذي هو بمنزلة القمر وعلى الروح الذي هو بمنزلة الشمس وعلى القوى الروحانية التي هي بمنزلة سائر السيارات المضيئة وهذه الأنوار لا تظهر في الوجود الإنساني إلا بزوال أثار الطبيعة والنفس وظهور أثار القلب والروح فإذا أشرقت أنوار الروح وقواه في ليل الوجود أضاء جميع ما في الوجود وزال الظلام لقول رسول كريم أي هو جبريل عليه السلام قاله من جهة الله قال السهيلي ولا يجوز أنه أراد به أنه قال so so forth so what he's saying is that سورة التكوير the روح are like are like luminous, like a luminous substance, the truth of which cannot be experienced. The truth of which cannot be experienced unless the contaminants upon the soul are removed. And the contaminants If removed, then it is literally as if peeling off the darkness and opening the gateway to the light, to the morning. And the more the soul is dependent on the mechanisms of the ego, the, 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 the covetous senses, the more the soul is entrapped and unable to be the dominant force in the life of a human being. So Surat al-Takwir has an existence that I am sure vast majority of Muslims were never exposed to and would never be exposed to in an entire tradition in Islam that saw Surat al-Takwir not as describing necessarily the here the the, the, the final day and the, the the terrifying happenings of the final day, but the actual birth actual transformation of the soul from a state of ignorance to a state of enlightenment. And even in, in the opinion of, of like someone, like Ibn Arabi says, Surah Al-Takwir for, for the wayfarer, for someone who wants to, to that path, is is an essential instrument that you read the surah over and over and over and over again until the what Ibn Arabi says are the true meanings of the surah reveal themselves to you and comfort you in in the path and take your hand and deliver you in the path and that is why if 
if you've got, if any of you've had experience with um, nearly all tariqas that I know of, I mean legitimate tariqas, uh, they'll tell you it's not unusual at all that when if you go to a sheikh and the sheikh will say part of your word is to read Surah Al-Takwir 30 times. Uh, that's the reason. I mean, a lot of times they don't tell you the reason till much later, but that's the reason. That they'll tell you, you know, part of your word is to read it 30 times a day and or whatever. So these are the two. Now we come to the third. And Allah Alam, of course, Allah knows best. My journey with Surah Al-Takwir is that it describes at the beginning something frightening. And clearly it describes a process, a dynamic. Before it gets to the part where Allah is, is, is swearing and we know that the rule is when Allah swears by something, it is something that deserves intense reflection. And before Allah presents the oath, and then Allah tells us the solution, and that is the message itself. My journey with Surah Al-Taqwiyah convinced me of the following, and Allah knows best. Is a shamsukuwirat. When the sun is rolled up, and the stars are unfolded and darkened, and the mountains are moved, what is this describing? At the very least, it's describing a deep state of anxiety and fear. And in my prayers, and my journey, and my reflection of Surah Al-Takwir, it describes a human being when they are in a state of absolute crisis. That human being suddenly, for whatever reason, the sun, what they know, what they think they know, the things that they live thinking that they know, the things that they relied on in life, the sources of their joy and happiness have been rolled up. Shamsukuwirat, 
is the sun of your happiness. What used to give you meaning, suddenly in a state of crisis you find that it's being taken away. وَإِذَا النُّجُومُ قَدَرَتْ The things that you thought gave you meaning, the nujum, what are the nujum, the stars that give you guidance? In Qadrat, because in your state of crisis they've been darkened and you no longer can see stars in your life. The things that you relied on for direction are dissipating or have dissipated and become covered over. And the mountains, the anchors of meaning, the thing that used to anchor you in meaning, have suddenly been shaken. You are no longer sure of the things you were sure of. وَإِذَا الْعِشَارُ عُطِّلَتْ عِشَارُ Here, an old source of good suddenly is no longer yielding good for you. The things that used to bring you joy and happiness and value no longer do so. That's عِشَارُ عُطِّلَتْ وَإِذَا الْوَحُوشُ خُشِرَتْ And the beasts have been gathered. What beasts? Think about it. Pray on it. The beasts of your fears and your anxieties, everything that terrify you, have gathered upon you. وَإِذَا الْبِحَارُ سُجِّرَتْ the sea is often in the Quran a symbol of wisdom and knowledge. But here, the Bihar, Sujirat, which I told you could mean they dried up or could mean they've exploded. All of you, all of us, have been in a situation where we felt that the seeds of knowledge and wisdom have suddenly dried up on us or suddenly exploded to become confused. We no longer know the meaning of things. It's there, but they don't make sense to us anymore. At that point, you are coupled. But the question is, coupled with what? Often, we are coupled with the worst of what we are. The version of us that we hate. The version that we can't stand. Quite often, it is a weak version, it is an insecure version, it is an unstable version, it is a devastated version. 
It is a broken version. At that point, who is the Ma'uda here? In my prayers, I realize that the Ma'uda is me, is you. When you are in that state, you have buried yourself and killed yourself because of your depression and your anxiety and your fear. And Allah is asking you, why have you done that? Why have you killed yourself? Why have you buried yourself? وَإِذَا الصُّحْفُ نُشِرَتْ As you try to struggle to come out of your, 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 the process of burying yourself out of your sadness, out of your depression, out of your anxiety, you are confronted by the suhuf. The suhuf, the memories of your deeds, what you've done and didn't do. And you are thinking to yourself, if I only would have done this, if I only would have done this, if I only would have said this, if I only would have said that, that's the suhuf nushirun. But as you do that, everything that used to give you security, that's the sky. Qushitat means it's been ripped away. Like you ripped the hide off an animal. You feel so insecure and so scared. The heaven that used to give you protection has been ripped away, taken away. At that point, you have a real choice. You either dwell further into your jahim, into the hellfire, or you make the decision to avoid hellfire and, de- and force yourself to a Jannah Uzlifat. A Jannah Uzlifat here is Allah's mercy that brings the means of relief close to you. It's whether you want to see it or not. Jannah Uzlifat is Allah brings that, that, that relief Allah's extended hand close to you, whether you want to take that hand or not. Alimat nafsun ma ahdarat. Here, in my view, you are alone with your choice. You either take Allah's hand and go the path of Jannah. Or you reject Allah's hand and sink further in your hellfire, in your jaheem. 
فلا أقسم بالخنس الجوار الكنس والليل إذا عصعص والصبح إذا تنفس Like the Sufis I agree that the qasam here, the oath is by that that hides and that that moves and the, 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 the night of ignorance and the light of illumination but the difference is this فَلَا أُقْسُمُ بِالْخُنَّسِ are the things that you hide deep within, you refuse to confront, that are the cause of your misery. The secrets that you keep against yourself that are the cause of your misery. Al-Jawari al-Kunnas. The things that move within, that challenge your secrets and challenge your deceptions and challenge the way you defraud yourself. And the night, the asas, Allah chooses asas, which as I said means to either move forward or move backwards. Why? Because that night, that darkness could either completely engulf you or retreat, depending on what your choice is. And that shy and hesitant morning that you can invite in if you wish. You want the way out? The only way out is to remember that this is a message of the Rasul, the Kareem, the most honorable and honored prophet that has brought you the message. In other words, your way out is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the Quran. You can choose to go to the Quran and say to the Quran, Help me out of my misery. I'm lost. Or you can be lost further. It's entirely up to you. And the oath continues, or the assurance continues, that this is a prophet, not insane, not a sorcerer, not possessed. And the dhikr للعالمين لمن شاء منكم أن يستقيم وما تشاءون إلا أن يشاء الله رب العالمين The affirmation at the end that this is a remembrance of what is within you already embedded but the choice is yours. Now, linguistically, when I, I didn't arrive at this meaning of Surah Al-Taqweer through just rational analysis or linguistic analysis. I arrived at this understanding of Surah Al-Taqweer because of the spirit of the surah itself.
I agree with the Sufis that it is telling us something about an intense case of anxiety. But I think it is talking about a situation in which, like the early Muslims, they were confronting and were about to confront an increased amount of turbulations, this remarkable tests. And in that moment, they are confronting deep anxieties about the self. Am I really going to forgo the family that I know? My mother will not allow me to be Muslim. My father will not allow me to be Muslim. They will boycott me. They will hate me. At that moment, your, your, your sun, your, your stars, your, your mountain, your, your everything is, is being discombobulated, is being torn asunder. You are in increased state of depression. Remember that the Prophet ﷺ was engaged to a woman and when he became a prophet, her father broke off the engagement. So many of those who converted to Islam, they found forcibly, they were separated from their wives, they were separated from their parents, they were separated from their children. When you look at the seerah, the thing that strikes you, that strikes you, is that they were truly being confronted with one heart-wrenching situation after another. And Surah Al-Takweer is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saying, I know, I know what it means to be going through that level of depression. But there is only one sure path out. And that is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's the way I understand Surah Al-Takweer. And Allah knows best. Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen.